Okay, well, let's turn to the book of Revelation. I always say that with a little bit of uh, intimidation when I think about that. But Revelation chapter 3 is where I'd like to take us this morning. And I believe the Lord Jesus has a word for us. Revelation chapter 3. And I'll invite you to stand as we receive this word together. We're going to start with verse 14. As Jesus is speaking to the church in Laodicea. And I'll read down through verse 22. Would you hear the word of the Lord? To the angel of the church in Laodicea, Jesus says, Write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can, so you can become rich in white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. And just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May God add his blessing to that word. You can be seated. Well, this week I ended up going down memory lane and was kind of thumbing through some old messages I had preached. And I came across an account of a family vacation that we took some 14 years ago in the Outer Banks. It was September, the weather was perfect, the summer crowds had dispersed, and so we spent a considerable amount of time that week on the beach and at the pool. But to be honest, a good day at the beach for me has very little to do with water. If you give me a comfortable chair, a good book, and some music to listen to, I could sit there for hours and just kind of soak the atmosphere in. But of course, my kids are young, were younger at that point, and it was a little different for them. They were not content to just sit there. They, they wanted to play, especially in the water. So they looked at Mary and me on our, our beach chairs, and of course, they began to coax us. Come on down, come on in, please, please. And parents, if you, you've probably had that experience. You know what I'm talking about. And at first, as a mom or dad, you sidestep the question. You say, well, I don't want to come in just yet, pretty soon. Or I might say something pious like, hey, I'm reading my Bible. I can't come in right now. But a few minutes later, inevitably, it, it comes up again amidst their squeals and their laughter. A little more emphatically, my four kids would join in. When are you coming, Dad? Mary says she doesn't want to get her hair wet. And I say this, and it always bought me a little more time. Do you really want me to take my shirt off and be in the same vicinity? You know, that kind of a thing. But the children persist, and then suddenly there's that moment 
Maybe it's guilt, but I think it's something else. When you find yourselves looking at your kids, and I wonder today where those years have gone. I remember my nine-year-old Caleb wanting to play football, my seven-year-old and five-year-old playing in the water and trying to surf, the four-year-old little girl playing there in the sandcastle, just wanting to play with dad. And you realize those moments, you, you don't get them back, do you? So I get up out of that chair, and then you go to the water, and you have to make a decision. Are you going to dive right in, jump right in, get, you know, you're going to face the shock, it's going to be over in a moment, you'll be used to it, or are you going to ease in and just kind of die a slow death as you try to initially get ready to enjoy it all? Well, either way, it's amazing. The kids, the kids are forgiving. They don't care that you took so long. They're happy you came in. You stepped, stopped watching from the lounge chair. Maybe, maybe you got up because of guilt. But the real driving force was love. You know, I, I, I kind of thought about that story, and I feel like my kids, in a sense, today, we're in a series where we are highlighting the core values of our church and this morning, we're going to consider this third one. We, we've said the first one was found people, find people. And the second one is saved people will serve people. But the third one, well, the core value we want to talk about today is growing people change within. Growing people change within. The, the kids did such a great job on the video here, but as a Christian, as I am growing in my faith, I'm going to become more and more like Jesus as the Holy Spirit works in my life. And one of the primary ways that happens is through involvement in connection to his family, the church. And I've got to be very honest with this this morning that my hope, my desire is that every one of us is, is thinking about how I can take a step forward in my ties to this place, to these people, to this church. The reality is some of you perhaps have been attending here for years or maybe a few months, but maybe it's time to get in, to jump in. The water's fine. It'll be fun. I, I, I want to set this before you and put it on your calendar, if you will, that on Saturday, November the 5th, I'm going to conduct a, a welcome to friends class. Now, if you've not been here long, our, our friends classes are designed to help us take that next step into membership, being a part of the church in an official capacity. It's going to be about a three-hour class. In fact, it's going to be two hours and 45 minutes. And the reason I know that is because the Buckeyes play at noon. And so we will be out. We will be out that day. But we want to see you come together. And, and I'm going to teach that. I'm going to kind of be there. But it's going to, it's going to be that opportunity to talk about what it means to be a member and, and, and kind of get to know you better. Now, some of you in this room have taken that class, but somewhere along the way you got stuck and you never made the decision to get in and take that next step of membership. Let me encourage you this morning, put a ring on it. Stop dating the church. 
It's time, it's time to, to go in, make a commitment to help us love people to life in Jesus Christ. And the truth is, yeah, in a church our size, it's easy to kind of sit back and, 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 and in the lounge chair of our existence here and make up excuses that we're content to just be spectators on the side rather than participants. But don't. But I do hope this, that you will decide to do it because you love this church. You want to see it move forward. This church means something to you because it's here that you're comforted by grace, challenged by the God's word, motivated to serve and give because you love. But as I prayed about this series that we're in right now, what I, I, I've thought about what it is that I need to share with you this morning. And I realized that there's another side of this that we need to understand. When I was growing up, I remember the preacher using a sermon illustration. It went like this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Imagine a professor maybe at Yale University, who is the leading scholar on Abraham Lincoln. This uh, professor is a researcher. He knew all it was when it came to Lincoln's life and career. He could discuss in detail decisions concerning political campaigns, military strategy, and his sometimes tumultuous relationship with Lincoln's wife, Mary Todd. But living today, of course... The professor had never met Lincoln in real life. Now, on the other hand, imagine a little girl who actually was a neighbor of Abraham Lincoln at some point. Every day, Mr. Lincoln, <coughs> excuse me, I've got a cold and um, I probably was cheering a little too much last night. But every day, this little girl gets up she is out in her porch or in the yard and Lincoln when he goes for his afternoon stroll he would come across this little girl playing next door he would in fact go over to her and maybe whisper in her ear and tell her a story or maybe sing a song play a game or even give her a hug she knew very little about politics didn't know about the war <clears throat> but she did know Lincoln, a living, breathing human being. Well, at that point, the preacher would ask a question. Who knew Lincoln better? The professor who knows all about the, uh, the, the facts about Lincoln, they knew all the <coughs> interesting things about his decisions. You know what, I'm going to need some water, I'm afraid. You want to turn off that microphone so I don't make everybody sick here? Here, I'll, I'll turn the mic back on. We got it? There we go. I'll try not to be quite so loud. I'll, I'll, I'll tone it down here. But think about this. The professor knows all the facts about Lincoln, but the girl knows him personally. And of course, the, the question is, who knew him better? Well, the, the illustration was always, well, the little girl knew him better. The point was that when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, we, we find ourselves maybe getting interested in facts, and we want to know those things, but 
The reality is, thank you, sir. Maybe that'll help. The reality is uh, that, that uh, uh, we want to know Jesus personally. We want to know him as a living human being that impacts our lives. And I hope that from this pulpit over the years, you've heard that preached over and over again, that every one of us needs to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But this morning, I want to give you another illustration, similar, but a little different. Imagine a reporter, a plain dealer reporter, let's say, who knows everything there is to know about a public figure who also happens to be a mafia don. This guy uh, knows about how the Don has worked up uh, his way in the Mafia ladder to become the CEO of the Mafia in the area. And he serves as the frontline person of all these wicked activities of the Mafia. The reporter knows everything there is to know about the Mafia leader, but he's never met him personally. Now imagine a little girl who happens to be the neighbor of this Mafia Don. Every day, he comes out of his house, and he gets ready to go into his limousine. He's waiting for him, and uh, every day, he, as he gets ready to go off to his work of brutality and manipulation, he, he tells the driver to wait, and he comes over to that little girl. He whispers in her ear. He gives her a hug. He maybe shares some candy with her, tells her a story, plays a game. Now, she knows nothing about the mafia, She's never, of course, seen an episode of The Sopranos. She knows nothing about the structure of organized crime or doesn't have a clue what a hit man is. She just knows him as a living, breathing, perhaps even warm human being. So I want to ask you this morning, who knows this Mafia Don better? The reporter who knows all the facts about him but has never met him personally, or the little girl who may not know the facts about him, but in fact knows him as a living, breathing human being. My point is, is that to really know a person, you need to see the big picture. You really need to know everything. And I want to remind you, that is true of Jesus. The truth is, he loves you. He came to save you. He wants a personal relationship with you, and he is a God of mercy and grace and forgiveness and most of all love. But because he is love, I also need you to know he is also Lord. And the reason I so desperately as your pastor want you to fall in love with his church is because he loves the church. When he comes back to earth, he's coming for the church. The church is his bride. And we as the church are to follow him and listen to his voice and obey his commands. You see, Jesus Christ came to save us from sin and get us to heaven. That is certain. But part of his salvation is that he wanted to form a community who would say, Jesus, on this earth, you're in charge. I'm following you. 
You're calling the shots in my life. You are Lord. How do you want me to live right now? Matthew 28, Jesus gives his disciples instructions about going into the world and making disciples. But before he gives those instructions, he tells them this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus says it outright, I have been given all power, all authority. I am the one who is Lord. I'm the one who's in control. All authority is mine. Now, I think it's interesting that that is a slightly abbreviated version of things we read elsewhere in the, in the New Testament, where they don't mention just two levels of authority, but in fact, there are three. Let me give an example. In the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul is talking about Jesus, who took the form of a servant, and he humbled himself, and he went to the cross. And then Paul writes this. As a result of that, it says that God highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every other name, and at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow on heaven and earth and under the earth. You see, in ancient times, the idea was is that there were, people believed that there were three levels of authority in the universe. There's a heavenly realm. This is the realm of the angels, sometimes referred to as the powers of the air. Then there was the earthly realm. There were earthly authorities, politicians and leaders who claimed authority and reigning over us in one way or another. Then there was the power of the underworld, the power of the departed spirits, the ghostly realm, if you will. But in Revelation here, we also read about these three levels of authority. This book, as you know, is full of a lot of symbolism, a lot of scenarios, all of which are basically meant to illustrate that Jesus Christ is Lord and supreme authority over the universe. Ultimately, he wins the victory. But in Revelation 5, they find a scroll. Some of you know this. The scrolls have seven seals, but it's not opened. The scroll symbolizes the book that contains the secrets of history. If you know what's in the scroll, you know how it's going to end. In fact, how many of us came to church this morning and were thinking, man, how is this thing in Ukraine and Russia going to end up? It, it makes us nervous when we think about nuclear war we have this energy crisis going on. We have this climate concerns, and we wonder, how is this going to end up? I look at China, and I think about the looming threat that exists there, and I wonder, how is this thing going to come together? Terrorism, disease, all of this stuff going on in our country regarding politics. How does this all work out? Well, if you don't know what's in the scroll, you have no idea how anything is going to end up. So it's very important to know what's in the scroll. And John sees that word go forth in the courts of heaven. And he says this, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Revelation 5.2. So they send out a search committee. 
The search committee returns and reports, we've checked all three levels of authority. We checked the angelic realm. Gabriel was not able to open the scroll. Neither was Michael, the archangel. None of the cherubim or the seraphim were adequate to be able to take the scroll and to open its seals. So they checked the earth, the earthly authorities, the politicians, and the media influencers were all considered. Mr. Biden was not able to open the scroll. Neither was Donald Trump. Neither was Mr. Putin or Mrs. Clinton. Jeff Bezos couldn't deliver. LeBron James didn't have a shot. Bill Gates, Warren Buffett came up short. None could open the scroll. So they checked under the earth. No character in a Stephen King novel was able to open its seals. No monster you'll be scared of this Halloween. No power of darkness could do it. No one was found who could open the scroll. And John says, I wept and I wept. And I don't blame him. Because they're the secrets of where history goes are contained. But John is stopped by one of the elders who come alongside of him and say, John, it's okay. There is someone. The Lion of Judah. Jesus is worthy. And then in heaven we hear this song. Amen. They sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons of every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. You realize he's talking about the church? Make sure you are part of the church. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is able to take that scroll and open the seals. Because of the cross, something new could happen. The scroll could be opened, and God's plan of hope and renewal and redemption and restoration could be established. Jesus has all authority, and folks, this makes all the difference to us this morning. Peace comes from knowing that God is ultimately in control. This is where all of history is headed. He's in charge. 10,000 years from now, when we know what God knows, we will not accuse him of anything except of being faithful and true. One of my favorite theologians is Abraham Kuyper. He was a 19th century theologian, but he also happened to be the prime minister of the Netherlands. Quite, a, quite an amazing fella. But when he founded the Free University of Amsterdam, he gave a speech which concluded with these words. He said this. 
He said, there is not one square inch of the entire creation about which Jesus Christ does not cry out, this is mine, this belongs to me. Now think about that. Friends, that means that every square inch that we occupy in our lives, even those square inches of fear, and suffering and doubt and guilt are areas that ultimately belong to him. He says to his disciples, I'm with you always. He'll be with us every square inch, no matter what we fear, what worry, what depression you bring to this church this morning. He's there for you, and he's there with power and authority, and he will ultimately make it right. We can trust him in that today. But there's another part of that, too, and we dare not forget it. If he has all authority, it also means he's in charge. He's in charge of my life. Every square inch. My mind, my heart, my attitude. What he says for me to do, I do. We better listen to him. Now that takes me to this passage that we've read this morning in Revelation 3. And I read those words... I wish, Jesus says, that you were hot or cold. I wish you were sold out for me or against me completely. But he says to the church, you're lukewarm. And I will spit you, spew you out of my mouth. Did you notice that that church thought it was rich? They were so wrapped up in material things, their good lives, their, their comfort settings, their technology, that they didn't realize that they weren't following. They weren't submitting, weren't allowing him to be completely the Lord of their lives. They didn't realize they were in jeopardy. And of course, I can't help but wonder, does that describe a lot of us today? How many of us are hot this morning? How many of us are passionate for the kingdom? How many of us have just grown lukewarm? Verse 19 says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest, be in a hurry, repent, Jesus says. Now notice that this is in the context of love. Jesus says, because I love you, I want you to repent. 
He wants you to turn around. He wants you to evaluate where you are with me today. Am I Lord of your life or not? He wants you to say yes to him. I think it's interesting. Then he goes on, verse 21, says, To the one who is victorious. See, there's victory in repentance. I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Isn't it fascinating? Jesus says, I will take all my authority. (laughs) This is so like Jesus. And I will give it to you. Someday we will reign with him. Can you imagine? On Monday, some of you may have seen it. I I watched a good portion of the funeral for Queen Elizabeth. I watched the procession and all the uniforms, all the pomp and circumstance, the amazing entourage of world leaders. Her crown scepter, the royal jewels on the top of the casket. And I realized, you know, Queen Elizabeth was very involved in organizing the details of that ceremony. In fact, there's evidence that points that she had a vibrant faith in Christ. But I thought it was very amazing. She chose the last song to be sung at her funeral That last song included this last verse. This was the last note, if you will, of her funeral. And it was love divine, all loves excelling. And you know how that final verse reads? Finish then thy new creation. True and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. Changed from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place. And then it says, till we cast our crowns before thee. Lost in wonder, love, and praise. You see what she was saying? All those crowns, all those jewels. She happily said, I will cast them before you because you are Lord and I will do it lost in wonder, love, and praise. Jesus says to us this morning, here am I. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door. I will come in and eat with that person and he with me. Even this morning, Jesus is knocking at the door of our hearts, knocking at the door of this church. Yes, he wants to be your savior, but let me tell you, you don't get to keep a closet. You don't get to keep the living room or the kitchen. He gets it all when you invite him in. Because when he comes in, he takes over. Paul says he must reign. And friend, that's a very good thing. Does he reign in your life? Does he have complete control? Have you surrendered?
completely to him. Lord Jesus, may it be. May it be right now we hear the knock on our hearts. May our attitude be, Lord, oh Jesus, come in. Take control of the kitchen, the living room, the bedrooms, the closet. May we hold nothing back from you. May you have complete control of our lives. May you be Lord. Lord, I pray that uh, none of us would walk out of this place without having heard your voice. And Lord, may we make a decision. And I pray through the mercy and grace we would be passionately committed to allowing you to be Lord of our lives. We surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen.